Welcome to the podcast of Apostolic Lighthouse Tabernacle. You can find out more about our church at lighthouseofmaslin.com or join us for worship Sundays at 11. We pray this message will be a blessing to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The more I understand the wickedness of communism, the more I've been exposed to it and around. My wife and I have spent a lot of time in communist countries. And I can tell you that wherever communism is thriving, people suffer we want to criticize our country but I want to tell you it's a holy land compared to the rest of the world but of lately I don't know it just seems like the Lord has helped me understand the importance of our voice and the importance of our demonstration I don't know if you've ever thought about it or not, but there are two primary things that communism tries to take from people. It does take from people. Number one is freedom of speech. And number two is the right to demonstrate. And I don't know of anything that tries to, that, that compares to Satan's attitude toward the church. He wants to remove our right to demonstrate. And he wants to remove our freedom of speech. Out of the abundance of the heart, the Bible says the mouth speaks. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise, which is what? The fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto his name. I wonder if Apostolic Lighthouse Tabernacle can exercise your freedom right now. I wonder if we can't just lift our voice. Clap our hands. If you want to shout to God, you want to demonstrate, let's do it. Exercising our freedom tonight. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for standing so long. You may be seated. Continue to pray for Pastor and Sister Strange while they're away, certainly. Uh, the Carillis, wherever they are. Uh, and uh, we, others that are, are out tonight, looks like there's quite a few possibly on vacation or whatever. But I'm thankful that you are here. And maybe you just knew I was going to be here, and that's why it was so many people out. So I get that too. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. I want to read chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. 
in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Luke chapter 22, reading verses 31 through 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. And then Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I'm preaching tonight or teaching tonight. This may be a one-parter. This may be a two-parter. We'll just see where we get to. But I'm teaching tonight on this subject, faith's greatest challenge. Faith's greatest challenge. There's not a person in this sanctuary this evening that has not been challenged in their faith in living for God. Why do certain things happen in our life? If God really loves us, then why doesn't he step in and do something about it? I know none of you have ever asked those questions or even entertained those questions. Just me. I, I stand here the only one that's guilty of that. So I, I got it. I understand. The truth is God is working in the background always in ways that we sometimes don't realize. One of the greatest yet most challenging principles in life to learn is trusting God's sovereignty. Have you heard that before? I know I talked about this as recently as Bishop's passing. I heard Mark Morgan say one time while preaching at our home church in Canton that the most difficult verses in the Bible to live are Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Let me read them again. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. And in all thy ways acknowledge. And he shall direct thy paths. Please understand God will not believe for us. Now, you didn't hear that. 
God will not believe for us. What's most difficult to understand is why doesn't God just step in and do things the way we want them done? I know you've never thought that. Better yet, why doesn't he just prevent some things from happening? I was teaching teaching a home Bible study, my wife and I, to a new couple. We've talked about them and One of the things that we talked about when we were teaching about Adam and Eve and the the Genesis story and the beginning of everything, if God knows everything, which we know he does, and God knew what was going to happen to man, which which we knew he did, then why didn't he create us in such a way, we couldn't make the bonehead mistakes that we made. Did I just say that like that? Maybe I shouldn't say that like that. Why didn't he create us so that we don't make the blunders, that man wouldn't sin the way man did, that we weren't sent into this very challenging life? And my answer to them was simply this. The only way God could show his love for us was to give us a choice. It's the only way. If he manipulated us so that it was impossible for us, we would be no no more than animals that just function out of instinct but have no choice in what we do. One time going through a very difficult time, and I'm quite sure as often as I've preached and taught here that I've shared this story, so I'm not going to go into all the details of it. We were digging out our young congregation, our young church plant in Canton. We were doing our best trying to do what we believed God said do. I hate to say it like this, but it just appeared Satan was winning. And that God wasn't doing anything to prevent it. I'll never forget that day standing in that sanctuary. And I just simply said, God, I wouldn't treat my kids this way. But here's what I learned from that very challenging time. Second-guessing God. And continually asking the question, why? It's very normal. We've all done it. Maybe some of you or someone tonight is asking that question or making that accusation right now. You came into this service asking why. 
and you don't understand why it appears God isn't intervening. It's my conviction that's a very dangerous thing to do for several reasons. You know, there's a couple ways to ask why. You can ask why simply because you want information. There's no attitude behind it. You just want information. That's not the level of questioning I'm talking about. I'm talking about the why question that is rooted in mistrust. Why, God? And the root of that is mistrust. And then there's a second reason, asking why with the wrong motive and the wrong attitude opens a door in our mind for the enemy to work, which is exactly what Satan wants. Please understand, whoever or whatever controls your mind will ultimately control your actions. And then there's a third reason that I believe the most, and I believe it's the most damaging reason of all behind the why question. Satan wants you to question God's credibility. Now let me say, why would he want that? I'm going to tell you why. Because the moment you and I believe someone or something is not credible, you will stop trusting them. And that's exactly what Satan wants. If you didn't feel there was any credibility in my life tonight, you wouldn't be here. If you didn't feel pastor had any credibility, you wouldn't stay a member of this congregation. And that's exactly what Satan wants. How many people have left the church simply because they lost trust in God and they lost trust in the man of God? Please understand, I say it again, whoever or whatever controls your mind controls your actions. The moment, and here's the thing you've got to remember. The moment you stop trusting is the moment you take matters into your own hands. And that's exactly where the problem flows out of. Well, God's not working, so I'm going to. That little story I told you about, what was that all about? I didn't understand why there were days we didn't know where our next meal was coming from. I didn't understand why it appeared that we had no food, we had no money, and it just seemed like every day there was just enough to get by. You may remember, my wife will confirm this, we were down to one onion. 
She made a pot of onion soup that fed us that day, and I can't stand onions. At least then I couldn't. I like them a little better now, as long as they're cooked right. I don't like raw onions. I am not one of those guys that can just bite into a raw onion. Ugh. And I remember standing in that sanctuary, God, I wouldn't treat my kids this way. If I knew our children needed food, I was going to make sure they had it. And I didn't understand that all of that was a direct response to our commitment. Lord, I'll do anything you want us to do. We'll be anything you want us to be. After all, I was bold and brazen and made our family motto the will of God at any cost. I guess I just didn't expect God to take me at my word. And never forget when we were in Yugoslavia, now Serbia, and it was bad. We were just going through some tough times, and I was... I was down in the lip, and so I wrote our daughter an email because I knew if anybody's going to have my back, Angela's going to have my back. And I just kind of emptied myself out in that email I sent her. Got an email response back fairly quickly. It was short and sweet and to the point. Well, Dad, you've taught us all our life the will of God at any cost. I guess you have to live it now, don't you? Of course, I think she was a little too young to remember the times I was just talking about. My wife and I tried to cover that and veil that as much as we possibly could. I remember one time we were wanting to go to camp meeting. We couldn't afford to rent a hotel room on the old campground. We couldn't afford to eat in the dining hall. And so we decided we were going to make it look like we were camping out. And we took our little 1977 Ford Fiesta two-door and our three children... And we went to the camping area on the other side of the lake. We took our, I, I would call them West Virginia baths, but I won't insult anybody in here. We would take our baths in the, you know, in, in the restroom area where you clean up. And my wife bought some peanut butter, and we had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Nobody knew we were sleeping in our car at that camp meeting. And I remember the very first night, the speaker got up and he preached a message entitled, What It Costs to Be a Savior. And then he began to tell us, it was a powerful message. He was a young pastor and a powerful message, but he was pastoring a very large church that his dad had handed down to him. And I'm not saying that, that it was wrong, 
But I just happen to know a little bit of the backstory because our best friend, John Putnam, was pastoring a church in Stuttgart, West Germany. And I knew that just two weeks before he preached that message at our campground, his dad flew to Germany and bought him a brand new Mercedes Benz. And the reason I know is because Brother Putnam took him to the car dealership where he bought it and had it mailed home. So he, driving a brand new Mercedes that his dad just bought him from Germany, is telling me, who is living in the backside of a campground in a car just so we could be at camp meeting, and he's telling me what it costs to be a savior. That's one of those times you got to hear the message over the messenger. And I remember I was the first one to the altar. I hit that altar, and I pounded my fist on that altar. I said, God, what more do you want me to do? And I thank God that I was able to have an attitude adjustment. The message was right. I just didn't understand the bigger picture. I didn't understand what God was preparing us for. And before you begin to question God why, you better make sure you know the bigger picture. Why don't we just lift our hands for a moment and love him? Come on, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. The last thing you and I ever should do is to take matters into our own hands. I hear the, the Apostle James saying, if the Lord wills, you should say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this and we'll do that. How much arrogance is it to say, well, I'm going to just do my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. No. If the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. Do you understand what Jesus said about Satan? He's a liar and the father of all lies. He veils his lies in ways that actually are believable, even though they're lies. You know what it's called? It's called deception. What you have to remember about deception is that there's always just enough truth in it to make it believable. That's why we must filter every thought to the obedience of Christ. Paul said to the Corinthian church, chapter 10, verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. One translation says, to the utter demolishing of strongholds. 
casting down imaginations. It's on a conversation with a young man today from somewhere in the world. And about three years ago, he and I and some other young ministers were having supper together. The pastor wanted us. He was not there, and the pastor wanted these young men to take us out to dinner. And, and so, so we were having a conversation and he began to bring up something that I felt was not appropriate to talk about at that particular time. And so I just said to him, I'm sorry, but I really don't want to discuss that. You know, sometimes we're so focused on the past when we ought to be talking about the future. Well, what I didn't know until just two weeks ago, that, pat, that young man began to assume because I didn't want to have that conversation with him, he began to assume that I didn't like him. And when the pastor told me that, I said, please let me have a conversation with him. And I had that conversation today. And I assured him the thought of me not liking him never entered my mind not one time. But the devil had convinced him that I didn't like him. Why does that matter? Because how you feel somebody perceives you is how you yourself will treat them. And how much, how many times over the last several years have I preached in that local church? How many times, very possibly, could that young man not have received the word of the Lord simply because he thought, I didn't like him. You know, there's a principle in the scripture that says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Can I... Can I, can I give you some advice tonight? I don't see any nods of head yes. I'm going to do it anyways. Instead of assuming, instead of allowing your mind to go crazy and begin to wander and begin to make this thought and that thought and another thought, why don't you follow, follow a biblical principle? Strashley's back there from AOC tonight. I'm sure she had pastor's permission. I'm sure she's heard me say this. If you think I said something that's inappropriate, don't talk to 10 other people. Come to me. Bishop, did you say this? That gives me the opportunity to do one of two things. Either say, yes, I did, and I'm in every word of it. Or to say, you know what? No, no, ma'am, no, sir, that's, that's not what I said, and that's certainly not what I implied. And let me explain to you, 
See how easy assumptions can be brought down and removed instead of you carrying things for weeks, for months, maybe even years? Because absolutely, you, you just, sure, that's what they meant. I've told our congregation at home, and I said, listen, you, you want to tick me off? You want to set me on edge? I can tell you how to do it really easy. Just tell me you know what I'm thinking. That's all you've got to do. That's all you've got to do. Because the devil hasn't given anybody the right to know what anybody else is thinking. You've never heard of the gift of suspicion? It's one of the most active gifts in the church. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a Siamese twin to the gift of assumption. And I won't even charge you for that information. But if you will allow yourself to not be deceived, confirm things by the mouth of two or three witnesses, understand, as Paul said, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And watch what he says. And bringing into captivity every thought. Everybody say every. Every thought. God, Brother Maurer, gives us that ability. We just don't want to exercise it. God has enabled us to bring into captivity Every thought and do what? Align it to the obedience of Christ. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Interesting. Satan wants to shame us because he knows we've all failed and made mistakes. Is there anyone in this room tonight that never made a mistake that you regretted or wished you could redo? Let me reword it. Is there anybody in this room tonight that's never made a mistake since you've had the Holy Ghost that you wish you could redo? What, nobody's raising their hand? Kind of makes us all equal at the foot of the cross, doesn't it? See, regardless of our past, God desires, God's desire is to affirm us and position us for the future. He sincerely desires to give us every opportunity to make right choices. On the other hand, Satan's primary motivation is to provoke and influence us to take matters into our own hands when it appears God isn't working on our behalf. Sound familiar? I can only imagine how Peter must have felt when Jesus told him that he was going to be specifically targeted by Satan 
remember, Peter is still a young man in his relationship with Jesus. And now he's being told, you're going to be a target. (laughs) Well, that's one thing. But the question is, I'm just imagining if I were Peter and I was just told that, I think in my mind I would say, wait a minute. You're God in the flesh. If you know this, then why don't you do something about it? Think about it. Think about that for a moment. Peter, Satan desires to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. <laughs> Thanks. Are you going to do something? You, you mean you're going to allow that to happen? My brothers and sisters, it's those types of things that is the greatest challenge we have in living a life of faith. God, thank you for the warning. Thank you for the forewarning. But don't you have more to say? Can't you say, but don't worry about it. I've already taken care of that. It's all going to be good. That's not what he said. Not only was he told that he was going to be a target, but that Jesus, who he knew was God walking in a body, was going to allow it. Peter's response certainly was the spiritual answer you would, you would expect him to give. I mean, I'm sure it's the answer all of us would give. Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. <laughs> but oh, how things shifted, however, once the attack started. What Jesus said to Peter that he missed is what I feel God wants us to take note of and understand this evening. Quite frankly, it's the answer, I believe, someone in this sanctuary, if not all of us, need to hear right now. You see, you're convinced You're going through the trial of your life and you absolutely don't know what to do. Listen to the word. Luke 22, verse 31 through 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. (laughs) Watch this now. But I have prayed for you Jesus said I've prayed for you I, 
If I were Peter, I would have been wanting a little bit more than that. I, I would have wanted to say, there's no need to pray about it. Just deal with it. Just, just take care of it, right? But he said, and here's the answer. I've prayed for you, what? That your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, Ellis paraphrase, when you get your attitude right, <laughs> strengthen your brethren. Do you hear what Jesus said? I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. When you're converted, strengthen your brethren. Jesus' statement is so powerful because it is the answer. You can't see my notes, but I have two capital letters, I-S. It just, it's not just a answer. It is the answer. It's your answer. It's my answer. But it also requires us to have a part in the equation. It also reveals how the battle, how to battle the attack of Satan regardless of what kind of attack it may be. Now let me explain. The word faith is primarily a New Testament word, even though its real foundation is exampled in the Old Testament. The word was first used, believe it or not, in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 20. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very perverse generation. Watch this. Children in whom is no faith. By definition, the word faith in this verse means established, trusting. However, it comes from a root word that means assurance or confidence, very similar to the New Testament definition of faith. God was simply saying <clears throat> that their lifestyle and how they lived was proof that they did not trust him. Think about that statement for a moment. It's amazing how many people claim to be Christian, claim to be disciples, claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but have never learned to live the lifestyle of a disciple. All that God did for Israel as a nation should have been enough to prove his love for them, yet 
it wasn't. Their lifestyle proved they had no faith. God said they were children that had no faith. Simply put, they would not trust his sovereign leadership in their lives. We don't mind trusting as long as everything's comfortable, convenient, and safe. But if that's the case, why do you even need trust? I've said it this way before. If in submission, if everyone always agrees, why do you need submission? Same type word. When Jesus said to Peter, what Jesus said to Peter are words each of us need to understand and never forget. Let me give it to you in three points. There are just some things in your life we cannot change. There is nothing we can do about anything we've done in the past. Agreed? And we have no control what other people choose to say or do. Would you agree with that? There are some things in life you're not going to change. There is nothing we can do about our past. I guess if you needed to go say I'm sorry to some people or pay back some money, I guess you could do those things. But you can't change your past. I can't change what I've already lived. And we have no control over what other people choose to say or do. And can I hear an amen? So, and I'm going to, I am, uh, well, I'm almost through page four. But I know you can't handle the two more pages. So I'm going to maybe let you out just a few minutes early tonight. Sister Strange, is that okay? She, she don't care. As long as we have her permission, I'm good to go. What do we have control over? Think about that. What do we have control over? You know what it is? Our own actions. And especially... Our relationship with God. No one can control that in your life. We also control how we choose to live our life and who we allow to influence our decisions and life choices. You know, it's really not a secret what you'll be five years from now. All you got to do is look at the people you associate with, the books you read, the videos you watch, etc., etc. 
whatever shapes your influence. Let me say it another way. Whatever influences you will shape you. You and I have control with that. Unfortunately, too often we have surrendered that. And we've given it to people that don't have the right to have it. When the truth is, there's only one we call Lord. And his name is Jesus. And I'm going to close here. When Peter made the decision to lay aside his fishing boats and follow Jesus Christ, that was all he needed to do to become a target of Satan. The moment you respond to messages like last Wednesday or like Sunday night or Sunday morning, the moment you start making a decision, you're going to move forward. You're going to make change in your relationship. You're going to draw close to him in a fresh level. Yes, you've been living for God for decades, but for whatever reason, in these last days, as my prayer continues to be, I want to finish well. And you know what that requires? That requires a continual assessment of my relationship with God. And if we're willing to do that, Satan will never have power over us. And there's never anything he could ever bring in our lives that would cause us to question God's credibility and God's faithfulness. Jesus wanted Peter to understand the same faith that led him to make that decision, I'm going to forsake all and follow him was the same faith that would enable him to withstand the attack of Satan regardless of what it would be. Let's stand together because if I go any farther, I won't be able to stop. Will you lift your hands to the Lord right now? Will you honor him? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God, I don't want to be that one that's questioning your faithfulness. I don't want to be that one that's questioning your credibility. But God, I want to be that one that says, regardless, whatever it costs, I trust you. I want to be like Job said, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. In Jesus' name.